Apple Knocker Radio. All right, Crystal Lynn, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I've been preparing for it. <laughs> awesome. So not going to spend a lot of time on this, but could you just, your background feeds into your story of your perspective. Could you just give yeah. a little bit of your background and how you got here theologically, spiritually? Yeah, this is a story I get to tell a lot because it is my biggest, um, this is why I believe in God story. And uh, it turns out from birth, I've been really into and attuned to intuitive techniques and skills, spiritual gifts, that kind of stuff. Um, but around the time that I turned 10, I was diagnosed with a very bad illness that required brain surgery. So I had to go all the way up to Boston for this 10 hour long brain surgery. Uh, it was a big deal. And of course, the first thing my family did was ask our church to add me to the prayer list. And that day, someone came out of the congregation and said, hey, I do a little bit of faith healing. It can't hurt. It can only help. Do you want me to teach you to do some of this so that it will help you through this whole process? I was 10. I was terrified. I was in. Were so your parents receptive to it? Or, or yeah. were they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, they, it was their choice, to be honest. They were like, we're going to okay. take you here. You're going to be able to you know, have this supplemental healing, essentially. And uh, the woman's name was Betty. And I went to her house every week and she taught me how to meditate and find my center. And she taught me how to feel energy and send love to people and a little bit about how to move hands and move energy over someone in a way that would help their energy rebalance. And so I did this and I'm starting to like, I can feel energy. I can see energy. That's what this has always been. Cool. And then I get to the surgery and of course I'm knocked out. So in the middle of the surgery, at the very same time that the anesthesiologist had to alert my parents that I had, um, I had my EEG had dropped, everything was not working, I had died, um, and I came back unassisted, was the same time that Betty was on a plane reading a book and felt that God spoke to her and said that Crystalline needed energy. So she prayed for me. And she wrote down the time in her book for a reason that we did not know at the time. And it turns out it was that same moment that the doctors just put their hands up because I was having too many little strokes with capillaries bursting. And so there was nothing they could do. And I, I coded or whatever you want to call it. And then I came back without them having to do anything, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So when I understood that story, I decided I need to understand this. I'm here this is obviously something that God's pushing me towards. I need to work with healing people. So I got certified in Reiki, master teacher. I got certified in Theta Healing, advanced. I got, you know, every every mode of working with healing that I could think of, I got certified in it, even if I didn't agree with it, because at least then I would understand it. Hmm. And uh, somewhere along the way, it also started moving where astrology kept popping up everywhere around me. And I was like, nope, that's not that's not in the Bible. That's bad. I know that's bad. I'm not doing it. And then it kept popping up. And I said, okay, God, if you want me to do this, you need to make it obvious, which is my favorite tool. And next thing I know, my dad brings home this documentary from our church library about the Star of Bethlehem, where this lawyer goes through his whole journey of understanding how certain Bible verses were actually using astrology to predict Jesus's birth, how, you know, the, the darkened sky at the crucifixion was a solar eclipse. Uh, and so all these things are making sense. And I thought, okay, well, if astrology is okay, what were the Magi practicing? How do I get as close to what God clearly has approved of as possible? And so then I started learning Hellenistic astrology for the era that uh, they would have pulled from. They were from Persia. It was a slightly different 
technique. I know that now, um, but it's been the most beautiful thing in affirming my faith in helping people feel seen, feel intended, feel loved. And I just really love pulling those things together with roots in traditional sources so that I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm giving you resources to ask and answer your own questions. Hmm. And so you have this um, kind of different belief system than what could generically be called mainstream Christianity. Mm -hmm. And um, I do, I, I wanted to quickly define, because I don't know everybody who comes in for this conversation, what, what their uh, familiarity with terms will be. These mm -hmm. terms are, they're, they're loosey goosey, sometimes kind of ambiguous, but mainstream Christianity is a very broad term and I'm absolutely not trying to be dismissive at all. But then we have also what could be called esoteric Christianity, mm -hmm. which would be like I mean, inner Christianity yeah. by uh, Richard Smalley. We've got uh, even Vladimir Lofsky and uh, the mystical theology of the Eastern Church, which I under I think the lights block in these books so you can't see them. But um, and then a mutual interest of ours is Brauker, which is here the Red Church by yeah. our acquaintance oh, yeah. Chris Bellardi. Yep, right over there. <laughs> and so um, and so I just want to say that for the audience's benefit, like so mainstream Christianity we could will generically categorize for this conversation as your normal church going Catholic Protestant. I know there's divisions mm -hmm. within those, but. They're generally mainstream in their in their overall paradigm of reality. Um, I am more interested in esoteric Christianity, what could be called esoteric Christianity. So those are the two terms that we'll use. Mm -hmm. and, and if we're in honesty, some people will call it a cult Christianity, which is a term that I think is usually best avoided because a cult has this, it, it triggers a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if we're being honest, uh, esoteric Christianity could be called a cult Christianity in the sense that a cult just means hidden. Exactly. So, I was going to yes. make the same point. Yeah. So, so now that we've established that and have this polite conversation, um, could you now explain how you reconciled, like that was your personal path you got here. How do you reconcile the, the biblical paradigm with uh, what could generically be called a magical paradigm? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one of the, the things that I find most fascinating is the discrepancy or the discretion that you're talking about. I have a, a teacher that I learned astrological magic from. Once I got comfortable with astrology, I started picking up on astrological magic. And then it was like, magic though, is that okay? Um, signs pointed to yes, so I went for it. And what you will find in every single astrological magic grimoire is if God wills it, as God wills it, you know, appealing to God for this. And their version of God would have been just the creator um, a lot of them actually were Gnostic Christians. I'm reading the first alchemists right now. We're getting into Zosimos and how Zosimos was an alchemist who was also a very Gnostic Christian. I um, talked but, to Tobias Turton about that book a little while ago. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Um, my my Patreon book club and I are reading it this month. Oh, cool. And so I'm kind of hosting conversation to stimulate their, their thought process on it. And it's been fascinating. And it goes along with a very similar thread for what you'll find in astrological books as well. It's, you know, especially Agrippa in Renaissance astrology, they'll start out with, may God bless you. And, you know, all of these things. And, and if you are brought into this work, may you be doing the glory of the highest, you know, whether it's the monad or God or whatever uh, term they're using in that moment of history. In, in crystalline, let me add real quick. 
just for the people who are watching. Yeah, yeah. Agrippa, the other interesting thing with Agrippa, who wrote the three books of occult philosophy, is yes. also that he had it approved by priests who were higher well, ranking than him. And they were talking about it and, and corresponding about it. Sorry, go. I, that was no, for I, listeners. So go ahead. No, that's great. I actually, um, Eric Perdue, who did the most recent translation of Agrippa mm -hmm. and did that lovely box set, which is right behind me. I've yes. had multiple conversations with him. Oh, cool. Him. He's an astrologer. So we meet at Norwalk every year. And I always tend to sit next to him at the uh, at the banquets. <laughs> it's a mm. lot of fun. Very cool. Um, but you're right, because a lot of the time, and another thing that you could think of as well is Maternus. Firmicus Maternus wrote a book called Mathesis, and he was conscripted during the fall of Rome to write this book. And he also had to be a little bit careful because he was trying to record things, but at the time, astrology was still no bueno. So he was recording it, and then he would pepper in things about, you know, praise the emperor, praise this, you know, mm. make sure one of his laws is never speak ill about the emperor uh, when you're doing your astrology, because he knew the emperor was reading it. So one of the things that you get to pick up on speaking of the occult and things that are hidden is what's between the lines, which mm. is something that's beautifully uh, suggested in the first alchemists, for sure. They talk about that all the time about how they would have used story and puns to illustrate a concept that someone who knew, like, if you know, you know, mm -hmm. they would have picked right. up on it. That happens in astrological things as well. But I do rectify my faith with astrology in practice because I see it all the time. And I'm, I'm always witnessing sort of, if you want to call it the glory of God or just witnessing how God's moving and, mm -hmm. and things that are coming up and how to best work alongside them. I view if my technique with astrology, and it's not the same for every astrologer, just like, you know, every Christian is not the same. I view astrology as this is God giving me a heads up and I can say, I agree. And so I can move along with it. And that is my choice. I can resist it and it'll go the way it, it goes, or I can move along with it and it'll go a lot smoother and hopefully fulfill a lot more than just my happiness and my joy and my purpose, but somebody else's as well. I tend to believe that when God is doing something, everybody involved benefits in some way. Um, but we do find there are actual Bible verses that do kind of support that as well. Hmm. Yeah. And so something that interests me is, I guess a question that interests me is, so the common biblical view, mm -hmm. and this, this is something that's defended uh, very strongly by a lot of intelligent people, is mm -hmm. the idea that everything is uh, God's will. Everything. God, God is in control of everything. Um but the the very philosophy of like uh, brokery or um, any kind of, um, I guess what could generically be called magical practice, mm -hmm. is that you are personally willing something to happen. Now, brokery is interesting because brokery, though, yeah, yeah, or, or brokery, that, that mm -hmm. raises questions in my head, too, because the brokery, which for listeners is the Germanic folk magic tradition, which is very Christian, it's very Christian centered, there's, mm -hmm. there's no doubt about it. It's the Pennsylvania Dutch brought it over here, which is why Crystalline and I discovered it and we're uh in studying. my family oh yeah. yeah awesome awesome and uh and still practiced by the pennsylvania dutch um mm -hmm. uh still widely practiced but it's interesting to me because there does seem to me to be like a paradox in it because the brokerai philosophy is it's all god's will the the individual isn't healing anything you're just using biblical verses to heal people but if God's will is already God's will, why would our, even the decision to read out of the Bible, even the decision to use the mm -hmm. Psalm in a healing sense, why wouldn't God have willed that already? So I think there's like, it seems to me a paradox between the two mm -hmm. worldviews. And I'm wondering how you reconcile that. 
Yeah. So one of the biggest things that anybody will struggle with, whether you're in esoterics or not, is the struggle between fate and free will, especially in astrology, right? Because if we are believing that the movement of the planets tells you what's going on in the world, what do you do with that? And do you feel like my mom used to put it, I feel like a puppet on the string. And I was like, yeah, but as long as the person pulling the strings is God, <laughs> you're in good hands. But also <laughs> one of the most common thought processes that I, I fall on when I get wrapped up in this is whether or not, and I have two points on this, but whether or not I have free will, I feel like I do. So I have the heart to be able to make choices that however they play out in eternity, I've made them. I have put my my intention and my will behind them. So for me, they feel like free will. Whether or not I was going to always make that decision, it doesn't matter. I feel I have the conviction that this was my choice. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that matters most. Because if we don't have free will, we're not going to know it. It's just it's <laughs> something that is in God's hands and we're not going to know it. So the best we can do is try to do the best we can do. And I truly believe though, that there when, when I was coming up and growing up and deciding these things for myself before I found ancient texts that also confirmed these things for me, the way that I would talk to God and, you know, talk to angels and talk to loved ones uh, would be, you know, how does this work? Are you of God? And, you know, always mm. testing them as is instructed in the New Testament and sometimes running into things that weren't helpful. And what we see in astrology, and I think is reflected really well in this whole fate versus free will thing, it's the same as like, why does God allow bad things to happen? Why are there demons if God made everything? Mm -hmm. um, these are really good questions. And when you go back to ancient source texts, you find that our idea of good and evil is a little bit different than what it was back then. And I find it really helpful to go back and say, well, how did they think about it? And how might that right. inform, maybe not change, but inform what I'm looking at today. And their idea of good and evil was more of a natural balance thing. So it's natural good, natural evil. So this is an influence towards negative and positive might be a better thing. If we think about the law of polarity, hmm. um, which I know is more Kabbalian, but still. Um, so we think about things that are causing ease and grace and things that are causing challenge and resistance challenge and resistance leads us to our greatest overcomings in the world so you you can argue that god will sometimes challenge us and say hey you need to know what you're capable of because i know what you're capable of let me show you we don't typically evolve when we have ease and sometimes, you know, sometimes through meditation and through through a lot more Eastern practices, you know, like Taoism and things, you struggle more internally and less actively. But there's still this struggle, which I love as its original term, again, to wrestle with something, to come to understand it, not to struggle with it as in to resist it. So I believe that one of the blessings of being alive is experiencing as much as possible, whether that's, you know, highs and lows or a really great vacation or a really difficult time in your family. There's a blessing in being alive and in experiencing these things and being able to carry that forward. One of my favorite figures in astrology and in uh, mythology is Chiron who is the wounded healer, eventually was lifted up to become Sagittarius, but first was the trainer of he heroes and the inventor of pharmacy. Hmm. So this is someone who not only would heal wounds, but in healing the wound and taking that experience would then create people who could heal their wounds too. And that reminds me of Brahari, right? Brahari means to try. I'm going to try for you. 
And if God wills it, it's going to work because I want it to work. We know I want it to work. I want you to be healthy. And I did have to do this with um, a really beloved friend who had cancer. Mm. She had four months to live, three months until her daughter's wedding. And so I did what my mentor before me had done. And I said, I'm learning something. Uh, it can, can't hurt. It can only help. And it's supplemental to all the work you're already doing with doctors and, and those wise practitioners. Um, and at her daughter's wedding, she wasn't even wearing a chemo bag. It was amazing. Wow. But years later, the cancer came back. And I remember one of the things I'm most proud of was my first thought was to ask God, what's my role in this? Not to say I'm going to help you heal it, not to say I'm going to fix it for you. It was to ask God, what is my role in this? And then to follow along and respect every step, knowing that the directions could change or could, you know, I knew what I needed to know in the moment. And that was always enough. Um, and we had this beautiful process of helping her with a graceful transition mm -hmm. with as little fear as possible. That, that's amazing. And it, it also does illustrate the really fascinating paradox, sometimes maddening paradox, because it leaves you wondering, God, like, if God wanted to heal her, we could assume he would have made up his own mind. Mm -hmm. um, but is, is God's design to use you in that situation or to use somebody else, which is really interesting, because then it's like, it's God's design, um, having us do something of free will that then, you know, comes back and informs the design again. It's, it's a, like a, it seems like a, a really odd concept to me. Um, and not, I don't say that in a negative sense. Like I wrestle with this a lot, this free will. And it's uh, trying, it's like trying to picture the edge of the universe when we know that the universe is always expanding. Have you ever right. tried that? We're like, there has to be an edge though. And science and, and philosophy and things tell us there isn't. And we have to somehow grasp that too. Right. Uh, it's a very similar <laughs> feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. No, I, I agree. And I some some I usually end up thinking like whatever this design is, is so intricate and, yeah. and so detailed that um we'll probably never understand it. Maybe when we when we pass away, we will have a better grasp of it. But I think the full scope of this thing is probably out of a human's uh, ability to conceive. Yeah. You know? But well, um oh sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, one of my favorite things is um I'm as you know, I'm working on going back for a master's in divinity and it's going to be informed with magical practice, which I'm very excited about. But I, I participated in this theology for normal people to try to give myself a good foundation before I jump into the big scholarly view of it. And it's run by Peter Enns and I believe David uh, Tripp Fuller. And one of the things that they mentioned was that if I if there is a God who created literally everything, and is constantly in motion, all of history, all of time, all of space. I am out of my depth if I am trying to comprehend him. So the best I can do is live my role in this big tapestry to the best of my ability. And that honestly gave me so much permission to stop trying to figure God out, to stop trying to make God in my image and to start living as the image of love and of God that, that I could be. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's actually two of the areas that I wanted to get into was the one that we are made in the image of God, because I think one of the defining characteristics of the difference between a mainstream perspective and maybe a more esoteric perspective or a mystical, we'll call it mystical, a more mystical perspective um, is it kind of takes that we are made in God's image to another level. Like we, we are actually uh, like a fractal of God. Um, whereas I think like mainstream Christians don't don't think about the actual implications of that statement. 
But then um, and you just touched upon that yourself. But then there's also the as above, so below, which I had always associated with, um, like before I got, I, I came into the Bible much later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I did read it when I was a kid, but I was just randomly flipping through it, just interested in it. Um, I didn't really get into it until like my 20s. But um, you find out it's in the Bible too. Like like mm-hmm. Jesus, I, does he actually say as above, so below, but it's something very similar. It's it's very similar. I don't think it's as above, so below. Um, and I think right. it does extend to the as within, so without concept. Exactly. It's the same concept, though. It's the same concept. Mm-hmm. You could say it's the same concept. Yeah. And I believe that's what he's getting at, that we are like a microcosmic representation of the macrocosm, with the macrocosm being God itself. And so uh, I guess I'm just curious your thoughts about that. I agree with that. In fact, the title of my uh, weekly newsletter is As Above, So Below, where Mm. I go through the as above of astrology and what's going on, and then the so below of what are you going to do about it? (laughs) But also the as within, so without of we are living in the world that we design in in a in your point of us being fractals of God, we are little creators. And you can get get that um get your head wrapped around that so easily by just reminding yourself of psychology. You know, we we live in the world that we create in our mind because we've decided something about it. So we're going to react to it in that way. Someone else is going to see it entirely different because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So they're going to see something totally different and experience it in a totally different way. And in that way, we are all living in our own little individual worlds, Hmm. which is really cool. And when you take responsibility for that and honor that amazing gift, you can create your world one perception and one belief system at a time. And that's why I think it's very important for people to take responsibility for their beliefs because the beliefs inform their thoughts which inform their feelings and their actions and uh, so i think again what you believe creates your whole entire world Mm. yeah beautifully stated and so i have this book the mystical theology of the eastern church and i am saying this so people can maybe read it by vladimir lasky it's really interesting but he basically makes the case that mysticism and um, what could be like the church, the ma- again, mainstream Christianity, I'm using generic terms, that they're meant to, or I'm using broad terms, uh, mm-hmm. that they're meant to inform each other and work together. At some point, though, at least uh, in American history, I only say that because I can't speak for other countries. I don't live in any other country. But um, here in the United States, I, I make that distinction because I, I love the United States. And I just, whenever people say, well, at least in the United States, I feel like it's this criticism. I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying it's my only experience. Yeah. So um, here there's, there is a very sharp line in most people's minds. Like if you are a mystically oriented person, you're going to be an outsider. You're not going to be able to go to church and, and talk about it. Um, and so I'm, mm-hmm. where do you think that came from? Or do you know, do you historically know where that came from? Or just where do you think it comes from? Um, so I have, based on my knowledge of history and some courses that I did, I was able to take back in college, I have an idea. Um, and I think a big part of that was levels of education that were accessible, particularly in the medieval period. One of the things that we know is that in the medieval period, hymns were so important because people couldn't read and because the Mm. biblical texts were all written in Arabic or Latin or Greek. And so, especially if you were an English speaking person, you were not able to access that information. And in some cases they didn't want you to, because then you would be asking questions and then you wouldn't listen to authority and all of these other things. That's a whole other political 
uh, theory to get into, but they were reliant on hymns to tell the story. You know, we see that repeat throughout history where oral tradition and oral stories and songs become something that people really rely heavily on when they don't have access to the material as it was written. And honestly, sometimes the material as it was written is not very reliable either. Most mm -hmm. of our, our um, I guess in alchemy as well, and in astrology are just correspondences between students and teachers that happen to survive. They aren't manuals. We didn't get manuals until in medieval period, uh, William Lilly sat down and wrote Christian astrology. And he did that mostly so it wouldn't get burned. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's still something that he believed it and it, it does play into it. Um, so I think it's it's really important to remember that that distinction happened because they couldn't understand it because someone said it's beyond you don't mm. try and right. so they had to just sit with that and culture developed from there mm. and so because it was sort of kept away from them for whatever reason um then culture develops around that being a truth because they didn't have anything else to work with mm. so that's I, I i'm sure there are people smarter than me and more educated than me that could give you a, a more detailed answer but from what i understand that to me would be where that point was of we didn't have access to the material because we couldn't read it or because whatever. And so we created our culture based on what we did have access to. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's, you know, you have, have you read Richard Rohr, Thomas Merton? I'm sure you've at least come come across uh, them. Probably if I heard the titles, I might. They, they were both Catholic, what could be called Catholic mystics. Um, mm -hmm. Richard Rohr, much more, I think, would be much more clearly identified as a mystic than Merton. Merton was very philosophical. I think he was a Trappist monk. His story is really interesting. I don't want to get off on it. But um, because I'm interested in them, uh, I, I'm not Catholic myself, but because I'm interested in them, you know, you, you come across Catholic thought and Catholic, Catholic thinking. And uh, it's fascinating because some Catholics are very open to the mystical idea and Catholicism itself strikes me as a rather mystical religion. Mm -hmm. And yet you have other Catholics who still have this hard line drawn and they would consider like astrology evil or, or even just mysticism, even just mm -hmm. meditative prayer to, you know, saying the Jesus prayer to actually feel God's presence. Even that seems like too individuated, too too kind of weird, and yeah. um, so I'm wondering as you're moving forward in this, you're gonna this is gonna be your career as you're you're studying theology, you're combining these things. Um, how do you plan on dealing with this, and uh, like what are your plans? I guess is what I want to ask. Yeah, so I mean, I think that discrepancy we see come from well, only the people who know what they're doing should be doing it. And in a sense, I agree. You know, there's this there's this concept, especially now that astrology has blown up on social media. Everyone and their cousin is trying to tell you what this planet means for you. <laughs> and they're not using responsible sources. And some of them are. And I, I know a lot of them and I respect them and I love them. But some of them aren't. They're just trying to get viral and they're using astrology for that. And mm -hmm. how many people do the same with Christianity to rile people up and get viral and, and you know, just say like, er, be be aggressively enthusiastic on my side, which is how you get people to how you get things to go viral. Mm -hmm. um, you believe in it so much that you get over impassioned about it. And I think that, you know, especially in the Catholic Church, I, I've been to many Catholic uh I would say ceremonies, um, but also to their, to their services. And they're very ritualistic. Church is a ritual. And so there is, you know, lighting of candles, burning of incense, 
The candles have special colors for special reasons. The, the certain person carries the flame of God down the aisle, the acolyte, which I was as a kid. You carry the flame of God. You're respecting that that flame is a mm. representation of God and you are lighting the candles so that people can connect to that for this period of time. Baptism is a ritual and prayer could easily be compared to what people of other belief systems would call a charm or a spell or setting an intention. And so one of my biggest things is we're all speaking the same truth. We just have different languages about it. Mm -hmm. And so I can then go the Jesus route of loving everybody because we're all the same, even if we speak a little bit differently. Mm. And so for me, when it comes to the, you know, you shouldn't do that. It's, are you trained well enough to know what you're doing? Do you have the understanding? You know, there's a big conversation these days about is initiation necessary? We see it in the first alchemist too, about like, should it be kept secret when he's talking to Theosabea? And he's like, you know, don't trust the priests because they're under the power of the archons and things. But also he makes the point of you're sharing information or you said you didn't want to share the information that it should be kept secret or occult or occluded, right? And I, I stand on a fence with that one to this day, because I think there are some things that if you are seeking, I want to give you as much information as I can so that you know where you're going from here and you can make your decisions. That's my responsibility. My responsibility isn't to gatekeep. It isn't to tell you what to believe. My responsibility is to help inform you on your journey so that you find your next step to the answers that you are going to find between you and God or between you and however you relate to divinity. You know, some people are going to call God the universe. Some people are going to call God, God, whatever it is. I believe that's how you are being met by God. And I think we're talking about the same thing. And that's totally beautiful. Um, so that's going to be my, my goal. And actually I am speaking on it uh, at a conference next week on, mm -hmm. I call it mind your magic. <laughs> it's going to be my <laughs> lecture of just how much, we are doing these things that would be considered ritual or magic or intention work without thinking about it. And if we did think about it more, how much more would we be capable of and how much more aligned could we be? Hmm. Yeah, I love that perspective. And it's um, it, it makes me think of, you know, the, the Gnostic worldview, which, again, I'm using these terms generically. But by, by gnosis, I just mean kind of mysticism, people who believe that um, the way to God is not merely through obedience to an external body, but it's through it, like an inner journey yeah. and uh, through an inner connection with the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh man, I totally lost my, my train of thought of what I was going to say there. So um, how did I start that? You were talking about how um, you think about it kind of like Gnosticism. Oh what, what, yeah. So what? right now there's the whole, the, there's the whole debate. The not, I don't know if you follow any of like the, the spheres that um, consider Gnosticism kind of like an evil, an evil. Yeah. Like, do you, do you see that pop? Well, you have, I am you on the subreddit of Gnosticism. So oh, I get okay. it all over the place. Yeah. And could you, um, as somebody who you straddle the fence, not straddle the fence, that's, mm -hmm. you have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. um, how do you perceive Gnosticism and how do you see it not contradicting um like again generically mainstream christianity you know i i do um keep tabs on the gnostic because i was i was researching it for a while because it allowed 
four planets and it allowed for all these things. So it was definitely a step in my journey. And again, the enlightenment that comes through reaching Gnosis makes a lot of sense. We want people to connect with the essence of God, to feel that, um, you know, what the Holy Spirit allows us to feel in our theory of connecting straight to God. It's the peace of God that is within you. And so I thought this is really cool because it will help me justify these things that I'm doing and that I believe. And it'll also make it okay with Christianity, which is a big part of the journey when you're doing anything with Christian mysticism or mysticism in general, when you used to be or are Christian. And so for me, I actually kind of love it because in astrological magic, we see a hierarchy reflected in your painting behind you, which is the chain of being. And so we see that there's the all where everything comes from. And then you come down through eight or nine spheres of reality. And seven of those are governed by each archon, which is actually your seven traditional planets, Saturn, who holds the boundary between the ephemeral and the physical, and then Jupiter and Mars. And you have your, you know, Venus, Sun, Mercury, Moon, that whole thing. And everything under the moon is the sublunar sphere where we exist. And so Gnosticism fit that perfectly. And I was like, cool, I can have my astrological magic and my Christianity in a combo platter. Fantastic. Then you get to the, well, Sophia created the Demiurge by accident because she created without her man. And I was a little miffed by that. Um, so I, I started seeing how this, this perspective, and that's mostly, you know, in certain branches, there are several branches of Gnosticism, just like there mm. are all other forms of Christianity. Um, I disagree that we are trapped here by a demiurge. I think we personally create the demiurge by the limitations we put on ourselves and by the mm. judgments we put on others. And I think that that may be the original like meaning behind the whole thing is don't get so caught up in your judgments on other people that you start limiting yourself. To me, if you are able to love someone for everything that they are, that is unconditional love, that is Christ-like, and that will help you supersede all judgments, all limitations to be able to get closer to God or to me, God really is love. <laughs> God is unconditional love. And it allows you to communicate with anybody. It allows you to find common ground. And it allows you to relax, stop trying to make other people believe exactly the same as you and start doing your own work on the inside, which helps you reach the gnosis. Hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, that's all. And so uh, I talked to Miguel Connor, Aeon Bite Gnostic Radio. You mm -hmm. ever listen to Aeon Bite? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I interviewed him a while back, but there's a question I asked him and a question I've always been curious about. And you actually touched upon it a couple questions ago, and I'm, I'm glad I remembered to circle back around to it. Because the Gnostic worldview is kind of a, an individuated approach to God, that we all need a mystical connection with the Godhead is how you get to know God. But that doesn't, in my opinion, the mainstream church has its place, too. Mm -hmm. um, definitely. Like, I, I think they should be working in unison. And you you kind of said earlier, uh, no, you, you did say that you agree that these things, they shouldn't, they're not for everybody. Like, if somebody is seeking, you will help somebody out, but you won't just give it to everybody. Now, I personally, I believe that a Gnostic perspective is more widespread than people realize. And uh, in a lot of those conspiracy worlds where they see it popping up in pop entertainment and stuff, I don't think they're imagining it. I think it is there. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't necessarily think that means that the people behind it are evil or anything. And I think a lot of what's happening in my personal view is that they're making the mistake that you just warned against, which is that they are thinking that this Gnostic approach of a mystical connection with God is for everybody. 
I don't think it's meant to be for everybody. I think there are plenty of people who are better served by sticking in the the more mainstream approach to things. I don't think everybody has to go this other way. And I do think it creates chaos when you try to get everybody in this individuated mystical approach that they're not intended for. It's always been a fringe thing. There's always been like us weirdos, this tribe of weirdos who really needs to have these experiences and let everybody else have their thing. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, the problem is the two worlds are so fractured, so divided, which is the mm -hmm. defining characteristic of our modern day right now. Everything is so sharply divided. And um, I'm just wondering, how would you see a way to bring that back together philosophically? Yeah. Um, I think about this all the time, you know, growing up as someone who was psychic and a medium during an age where it was on TV all over the place, everybody thought that was the special thing that everybody should aspire to be. I disagree. You know, there's the ups and downs that come with both of those things. There's responsibilities that come with being able to access that kind of energy and a lot of work. I'm still doing it, which is why I'm here right now. But there's one thing that I wish people understood is that while we're creating these celebrities, or if you want to call them like idols in some sense, we're creating this special out of something. We're forgetting that everything needs to be in place for a full picture to happen. Mm. We need every piece of the puzzle for the picture to be complete. Every cog has to be functioning for the machine to work or for the, the mechanism to work. I will never be someone who is good at sports. I will never be someone who can make a painting that brings people to tears. I will never be someone who will be a parent and be responsible for someone's, for a life that will then shape our future. I respect those people because they are filling a space that I could never fill. And so I wish they saw how special they are to me. Mm -hmm. And I think if we all were encouraged to find what, um, in my, my world, I call it your zone of genius. And I think about genius as the sort of guiding spirit or angel that hangs out with you, uh, that form of genius. But if you think about your zone of genius, your gift, your thing that lights you up and makes you thrilled to be here and thrilled to do it every day, if we all focused on that a little bit more, the world would be so much more complete. And because we would be fulfilled in ourselves, we would then have the overflowing cup to be able to help those who need a little extra. Mm. And so again, it's the as within, so without, if I take care of myself, if I put the oxygen mask on myself, then I can help the person in the seat next to me because it doesn't help anybody if I pass out. So people should be taking care of themselves. People should be following their passions, which are all unique and all very individual. And then that means that there is a space for it and it will find you if you keep doing the thing, because you'll just inevitably fall right into it. You know, I, back during my my Saturn return, which is something we all go through around the age of 27 to 30 or so, I was really trying to make New York Times bestselling novelist happen. Mm -hmm. I was doing healing. I was doing astrology. I was going to keep that secret and separate. And at one point I got so mad. And I think God does this to us. I got so mad that I was trying to make this thing work that I said, listen, God, if you want this to happen, you need to make it happen because I'm trying and I'm putting everything I've got into it. And if it doesn't happen by this time, I'm going to take your hint and, fi and find something else to do. And I got the hint to find something else to do. And then I said, okay, well, what do people want from me? Well, when God brings people into my life, what are they asking for? 
And it was constantly astrology at the time. So I was like, cool, I'll start doing this. I'll see what comes next. And it can be that easy to find a path. It can, it, it's not comfortable, <laughs> but it is that easy as simply saying, what comes next? What is being requested of me? And where does that guide me? Because sometimes we don't yet know the beauty of what we're capable of. Hmm. That's very uh, inspirational uh, way that you've stated that. And um, so again, going with the, the, the conflict that we've been talking about between these two worlds, um, man, my brain, I, I am, I'm, I'm like losing thoughts right now, but oh no, I got it. I got it. So, uh, another thing that I, what I, a philosophical distinction that I think you will have an interesting thought about is when we talk about these concepts that we're a fractal of God, we are made in the image Mm -hmm. of God. And the esoteric perspective kind of takes that further. Like, you know, we really are made in the image of God. Like the inside of us is the same as the universe. And there's like a communication there. Um, When I read like mainstream Christian perspectives, I I can understand where they say it that is dangerous and that you can actually see it become dangerous in some people's lives. And this is is my perspective, but then I want to ask your perspective. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that there is a risk of becoming basically spiritually narcissistic and thinking that you are God in a way that you are no longer bound by the moral laws of the true, the one God, which I don't look at it that way. I've never had a problem to me. I don't even understand where the battle is. Like to me, these things just make sense to me Mm -hmm. instinctively. But, um, but to that perspective of mainstream Christians that um, worry about the people who take this idea too far and think that they can, go against the the rules of nature um what what is what's your perspective on it what do you think about um so i'd be putting on my my counseling skills hat um i'm certified in in several different counseling skills because when you get into a consultation environment you want to be very responsible with how you're handling people's faith which they are putting in your hands um the first thing is why do you need to feel powerful because why do you feel powerless And that's the actual problem. You feel powerless. So you're trying to overcompensate with power and you're alienating people around you and you're negatively influencing people around you because you haven't done the work on your own. And the work doesn't have to be magical. It can be therapy. It can be prayer. It can be faith. It can be art. (laughs) Whatever it is, you're not fulfilled in yourself and you think power is going to do that. And you think by making people seem smaller, by being hurtful to them or whatever, that you're elevating yourself, but really you're just pushing others away and down from you. And that's not elevating you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would ask people, why do you feel like you need this power? What's missing? And I would then walk them to this source issue that they probably developed as a kid because someone didn't know how to love them the right way. And they didn't receive it the way that they needed to. And then I would help them from that point, find the thing that will be fulfilling to them. You know, it's, Mm. it's healing techniques, but it's also unhardening someone's heart, which Mm. is very important. I think when we run into these people who are a little bit caught up on power and they think power must be something supernatural, they come into the sphere where it's actually supposed to be a lot more detachment rather than attachment, I would say. And they start kind of messing around with things that they don't understand and getting caught up in the illusion of power. I've seen it happen. I've, you know, I think we all go through at least a portion of it in our journey with this process. And then you come onto the other side of it and you kind of release that. And so I know that it's not about me. 
It's so not about me. It is not my responsibility to heal the cancer in that person's body. Their body knows how to heal. I am creating a sacred space where their mind can start believing it's possible. I am, you know, doing some movement to make the environment more conducive to that for them. And I am adding my prayer because where two or more are gathered, there it will be as well. You know, Jesus said that where two or you or more are gathered in my name because cooperative intention helps. When you have someone supporting you, you feel more permission and more encouraged to believe it yourself. Doing it alone is harder. And a lot of these people who are coming in and trying to gain power are also doing it alone and making it really hard. They make it hard for themselves and they close themselves off. And then by doing that, I think naturally, like if someone's being grumpy, we don't want to be around them. So they begin alienating themselves too. And then they just push harder. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. So the, there's the, I meant to take these notes and I forgot, <laughs> but in, uh, I think it's three of the four gospel accounts. There is that statement. I forget how it's worded, but where Jesus basically says that there's like two sets of teachings and he has the, the, like, I don't know if he calls it secret. Do you, do you know the passages that I'm talking about? I don't know the passage specifically. Okay. okay. Then do, do you know the con conceptually though? Cause if yeah. not, I'll drop it. I'll, okay. Okay. So yeah, in, in the three gospel accounts, there's a line and I think it's only a line in each one where Jesus like makes an offhand comment. Um, or not, not being, he makes a comment um, <laughs> about how like the teachings for his uh, disciples are not for everybody that there's, there's mm -hmm. like a distinction. I've always been fascinated by the statement, number one, but number two, the fact that most Christians I know don't seem to like catch on to how odd that is. Like, what is he saying in there? And, and I'm curious, like, what do you think he's saying? Do you think that there's like a, a true secret, deeper Christianity that isn't presented in the Bible? Because that has its own problems, right? Because that, yeah. Anyway, I'll let, let yeah. Please, please. Well, and you know, there are there are books that didn't make it through the Council of Nicaea that would typically have been a part of the Bible as well. So, do you get into the Book of Enoch, and do you get into the Gospel of Thomas, and all those right. things? Um, some people do, but I think one of the points, if I were to just say, you know, putting it simply, what was Jesus talking about? The simplest answer is there are teachers and there are students. And those, hmm. you know, the people who are supposed to be teaching this subject were the disciples. The whole goal was so that they could go out and they could share it. And so he was saying, I'm going to tell you what you need to be good teachers. And then they can go out and share it with people so that those people informed by whatever they needed from that education could then go out and do what they're supposed to do. It becomes a ripple effect. Hmm. So, you know, I do think that there are certain things that you know will do because you don't need to do it like i i will tell people when i'm consulting with them in astrology they're like well i don't understand anything about astrology i'm like cool you don't have to i'm here i can do the astrology for you you can take the action that you feel inspired to take based on the information we come up with today mm. so i don't have to be a meteorologist to know what to do with what the meteorologist tells me about the weather meteorologist does all the science says it's going to be cold i'm going to put a coat on that's all I'm responsible for. But thank goodness that meteorologist knows what he's talking about. Mm. So in a similar way, Jesus might have taught them certain things to make them prepared to be a good teacher. They may not have had to share literally everything with every individual they taught. They probably taught enough for that individual to be empowered to do what they needed to do. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And have you ever read Cloud Upon the Sanctuary? I've not no. No, I I just like his name's like uh, Bond. It's a German guy. I was it's a, it's an it's an old book, but um, 
he talks about like the two churches, the the exterior church and the what calls the inner church, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the you could say like the spirit of Christianity, which lives on through like even while the external church, which can be very politified or politicized and um, get caught up in human affairs a lot, that there's like a, an inner church, kind of a secret church of these like like uh, enlightened Christian almost like elites, I guess. Um, and that term is so sticky nowadays or so tricky nowadays. I didn't want to use that term, but um, basically the idea that there's the inner church operating at the same time as the exterior church. And even while the exterior church has problems, the inner church will keep us like kind of on the the right path, you mm-hmm. know, keeping this true Christianity alive or, or however you want to phrase it. Of course, true Christianity has its own problems. But um, so you see a lot of these things. I see them like uh, that Michael Knowles from the Daily Wire does these a lot. Uh, where he like will talk to Christians who became occultists who then were like possessed by the devil and then returned to to Christianity. He's not the people have been doing these forever, and and I'm not trying to discount them because I've seen them and the people actually seem. I don't think they're lying. I think that really is their experience. Um, in, in in most cases, I'm sure there are some charlatans, but um, I'm curious what you think about that. Like if somebody were to say to you and say, "Hey, look, I know this seems great to you, but this is gonna lead you." to the dark path. It's going to lead you to evil, you know? Um, and what would you say to that? Well, I've encountered that pretty much monthly for the yeah. last <laughs> years. Um, and so what I say, and I, I remember, you know, someone who was like a sister to me growing up and, um, and like in my wedding and all these things, we were hanging out one day and I had told her about Brokharai. Brokharai. Okay. And she sat down and she's like, I need to tell you, you're doing Satan things. This isn't right, blah, 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 blah. And so I was just like, cool. Can you share with me why you feel that way? And so she gave me Bible verses and they were all from Leviticus. (laughs) And I said, okay, can you help me understand why this feels important and, and how you would then feel about this verse, you know, ones that I use for my foundation. So I get curious with those people and in that curiosity, I am willing to learn something new. If I am wrong, I would rather know and change than be stubborn and continue on a path that might lead me to, at the very least, being unhappy. And I have gone down that path a couple of times. You know, again, I think it's just a journey, especially when you get into this as young as I did. I was 10 years old. And so in college, met some people that you know, were also into it and seemed to have more information than me. And so I would follow what they were doing for a while until every time God made it clear, nope, that's as much as you needed to learn from this, move on. Mm -hmm. And so my technique is always checking in, checking with myself, checking with God. Have I missed something? Make it clear to me, make it inevitable is my favorite technique. If you need me to do this, make it inevitable, make all of the events conspire that that path is clear. And it has worked in like a momentary situation. It's been incredible to see it unfold that way, but I'm constantly checking myself. I was reading the first alchemist and there was something that Zosimo said about the archons being evil and all this other stuff. And I thought, you know what? I need to check in with myself on this. Can I believe this and still, you know, feel like my faith is intact? What is important to take away from this here? And if I feel like there's a question I need to be asking, then I also need to find my answers. And it's just that simple. We are on a constant journey of exploration and we don't ever have to be done. And so the response everything I think needs to go out the window. 
to be able to say I've completed my training, I don't think will ever happen. I think I will get to a point where I know enough to be able to teach someone who knows like a step behind me or a couple steps behind me. And it is my grace to be able to say, I can help you and I should. Um, and my help might be to help you understand that you don't need to be learning this because it's not helping you progress in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that I, I had a stint where I was with the modern mystery school for a while up to like their first initiation, because I wanted to learn more about Golden Dawn practices. So I got certified <laughs> or initiated. And um, one of the things I did appreciate was their definition of evil is that which stops someone from progressing in their own mm -hmm. journey. So you can do that to yourself, you can do that to other people, but good is progressing in your path, in your journey, in your connection to the divine. Mm. And I really enjoyed that because it helped me understand that perception again is the key. Is this expansive for me or is it limiting? Mm. If I'm starting to feel limited, then I'm probably running into a wall and I need to turn. And I'm always willing to do that. In in this process of this very individuated, individualized, uh, approach that you have to God, where you're actually, you're speaking to God and asking for God's guidance. Um, I, I, maybe I shouldn't assume I should ask, but you're still, you still consider yourself bound by the basic Christian moral ethos of like the 10 commandments, right? Like you, in your personal search, if something were to come up that told you to break those commandments, um, how would you interpret that? I would check in with myself. Um, I think my own personal research is if I have a question, I pursue it until I have an answer that feels unshakable because I've thought of everything. So if someone comes up and asks me the question, I can simply respond instead of feeling off balance. When it comes to something like the 10 commandments, I think that that's human nature as much as a code that, that God gave us in the 10 commandments. And I think we see it repeated in other creeds and other faiths, like don't kill each other don't take something that's not yours. All of those things. I've, I've had conversations and read articles where even atheists, you know, some, a Christian will say, Hey, atheist, if you don't believe in God, why do you care about, um, murder and whatever? And they're like, mm -hmm. cause I don't need to murder people to be happy. And I think that that's very important for us to remember that these concepts and these ethical codes that we work with are a bit universal. You know, it's the, the understanding that is innate in us of being a good person means doing no harm as the Hippocratic oath would say right? Mm -hmm. A doctor will take that oath every time. And I think that's really important to remember is that this is not just a Christian limitation or a Christian box that we've put ourselves in. It's a universal kind of truth that everybody is working with. And that's, well, everybody for the most part is working with. No basic creed or, or scripture that I'm aware of from any religion tells you to go out and kill people, but sometimes people take their faith and they go to an extreme and they decide that that's what they should do. Mm -hmm. And we have that across the board. You know, there's right. going to be that kind of person that needs a lot more help than I can give um, in, in every part of the spectrum of faiths. Um, but to me, yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the things in, in theology is if you're going to analyze the Bible so much, how can you still believe in it? And it's like, because I believe that there is a God or something orchestrating everything. And the way that I've related most closely to it is through Jesus. Hmm. Somebody else is going to relate closely to it through Muhammad. Somebody else is going to relate closely to it through Buddha. And I think all of those things are an unconditional love that is reaching out to them. And if I believe in Jesus and I know that Jesus meets people where they're at and goes to people where he can kind of encounter them, 
then I think that that's the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that's an, uh, inter- definitely an interesting way to look at it. And so, all right, we're coming to the end of our hour. So if you were to have somebody come up to you and you were to, a stranger were to come up to you and you had a chance to uh, to give them your point of view on the relationship between a, your Christian perspective and your, with you will narrow it to specifically astrology. Yeah. They encounter you in an elevator and they say, you are contradicting yourself or your tool of Satan. Well, what do you say? I will say my, my favorite thing that I will say in consultations to me, and this is my personal practice, but your astrology chart is God's stamp of approval on who you are and how you can most closely work with him. Wow. Actually, that that's an awesome answer. I love that you have that so concise. Mm-hmm. And we do have a few more minutes. So I have one more question. So Ooh. biblical worldview to me is very linear if you're looking at the book of Revelation as being the actual end of the world, right? There's there's mm-hmm. like a beginning and then there's an end. Astrology is very much about cycles, about temporal cycles, that all of nature, all of reality works in a cycle. Do, mm-hmm. do you think one of those is right or wrong? Or do you think they somehow work at the same time? I think they work really well at the same time. Um, we, we hear all the time the history repeats itself, right? And often when it does, there's an astrological alignment happening again. Um, So it's not that it's in cycles, it's more in spirals. And the difference is that the pattern comes around, but stuff's happened. So very much like there's an Edinburgh underneath Edinburgh, they just built over it on and built a city on top of it. The underneath Edinburgh still exists. The history of that Edinburgh still exists, but we build on top of it mm. for the current Edinburgh. I mean, it's a, it's a really weird example, but we are constantly in a spiral. And I like to think that we are spiraling upward. Mm. Um, so we have this opportunity to learn from what happened last time. Astrologers will always, you get to be a really good histori- historian when you're an astrologer, because you have to look at the past and say, mm. what happened last time? How does oh, that right, happen? Right. What might happen this time? And so we'll see that when something repeats, we come around to a, this happened last time, similar themes will likely come up this time. And what does that mean for us? And I will also say, I don't think it's always an astrologer's responsibility to tell people when something's coming, because sometimes you cheat people out of actually living something. Sometimes knowing is helpful for people, but some people are not in a place where knowing is helpful. So don't put that pressure on them. Again, counseling skills are very important when you are an esoteric person, having someone else put their faith in your hands. Hmm. In, in my personal perspective on the book of Revelations, is I, Emmanuel Swedenborg, who I won't get into, especially if you're not familiar, I love Swedenborg's perspective on the book of Revelations, which is that it's about the um, the reoccurring end of major cycles. He, what he was mm-hmm. saying was like at the end of things, both internally and socially, um this is what happens all the truths are revealed all of these old things fade away but it's not talking about like an actual end of time you know like mm-hmm. where time just ceases to be um I'm, I'm curious how do you feel about that do you do you, do you think the Re- book of revelation is an actual end to time or uh so, or something else yeah i mean you would think having died once that i wouldn't be afraid of death but there was that was my biggest fear for most of my life. So I spent all of my high school career reading Left Behind and anything I could mm. about Revelations because the rapture was a way out. And I will also say that um, the day that I died, at the time that I died, there was an astrological alignment that showed death and also salvation. 
So mm -hmm. dying and then coming back, it was the Saturn Jupiter conjunction on my descendant, which is an indicator of death, but also not staying dead. <laughs> it wow. was very unique, very cool. And again, that helps me rectify that God knew this was going to happen. God used this to propel me here. And also there's astrology to support it, which is another testimony to that. Um, but when it comes to Book of Revelations today, I think, again, if it's happening, I want to be ready. And that's my only responsibility. You know, if it's not going to happen, I still want to live as though I'm going to be ready. The same kind of question as free will and determinism. You know, if I have choices, I want to make them. If I don't and I can't tell that I don't, I'm going to still make the choices that I would be proud of. Mm. And I think my job, and I was just having this conversation the other day, my job as someone in my position is to help people feel empowered to make the choices that they would feel confident in if the end did arrive. So that they have no regrets, which we're all going to meet at some point because we are all going to pass into another form of being. And so everybody does get a rapture at some point, whether it's a collective one where we, you know, the the dead in Christ shall rise and, and all that stuff and the bride of Christ. I am not sure because I also know historically there are other perspectives to take into account. And I do love exploring those. But for me, if I were to give advice to someone, especially it's always be living as though, you know, the blessing is right now. Hmm. Well, great. Start with the end of the world and we end up with uh, <laughs> living as though the blessing is now. I love it. It's a yeah. perfect time, perfect way to end. Um, I'd love to talk to you about this again sometime. Uh, if we yeah. could set that up, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I love it. Thank you very much. And um, do you have anything else you'd like to say about your own personal projects or businesses or, or anything that you'd like to share with people? Um, yeah, if anybody is interested in some of the ways that I teach, I have a, a Patreon where it's literally about teaching and immersing into folk magic and astrology in an accessible way. I'm not going to teach you like zodiacal releasing right off the bat. I do teach individual students for that. So again, kind of like what we were talking about, this is the piece that's going to be your weather report for the week and lets you feel more educated about it as you go about your day. Um, that's the Modern School of Ancient Wisdom Patreon. And and I do work with people individually. I do not currently offer open readings because I'm going back to school. So I want to make sure I can honor the time that I'm divvying out. And I need some of that for studies. Um, and I also host conferences uh, a couple times a year called Sacred Spaces Gathering, where we gather people and we do um, responsible and ethical, spiritual, supernatural, and magical practices. So you can mm -hmm. learn firsthand and meet other people. Very interesting. And all those links will be in the box below this video for all the, the viewers. And uh, Crystal Lynn, thank you so much. And I hope you have a, a great Wednesday. And uh, yeah, we'll be chatting again. So all right. Cool. All right. Thank you have so a much. good one, Crystal Lynn.